0: Hey everybody and welcome back to another edition of the Open Forum podcast. Today we have with us Nicole Sirotech. Nicole is a registered nurse with special uh, specialization in critical care, trauma and flight. And she's also the founder of American Frontline Nurses as well as the Advocate Network. And look, Nicole, that's enough from me. A brief little 30 second introduction. Why don't you take two minutes to tell us a little bit about who you are. And then we're just going to dive on into uh, a little bit more on your uh, background, your work, and then how we came to where we are today.
1: Okay. So, like you said, my name is Nicole Saratek. I'm a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for over a decade now. And my specialty is critical care trauma and flight. I've been a flight nurse for most of my career. Um, prior to that, it was critical care. But um, what I'm most known for is that horrible viral video back in May of 2020. I was in a New York inner city hospital when the COVID pandemic started and I was in a break room just completely having a, like a sobbing mental breakdown that they were murdering all the patients in New York. And that video went around the world. And I think that's what woke a lot of people up initially because they kept asking, well, why aren't they just dying? Like, why, why are they, di- why are they only dying like this in New York? Why aren't they dying out in the streets? Like the media keeps trying to tell us is going to happen. And that's, that's how I started it. And I, when I left New York, um, and I went back home to my home in Nevada, I, I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't allow this to continue to happen because when I tried to advocate for my patient and, and tried to get him the care that he needed, so that way he wouldn't, um, you know, be negligently medically managed. So he could be what we call discharged to life. Um, none of the agencies, none of the organizations, none of the advocates like would help me because everything was closed or they use the excuse, oh, well, it's a novel virus. They have, you know, things aren't going to be normal. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure when you don't feed people and you starve them to death, that has nothing to do with the virus. When you don't give people water that has nothing to do with the virus. When you don't go in there and give them the appropriate medications that has nothing to do with the virus. And we all know that at least in the United States, uh, medical negligence is the third leading cause of death here in the United States. So I made a promise that I wouldn't, I would do something about this. And when I came back, it took me some time and I created American frontline nurses and the advocate network, which is nurses that are trained as nurse advocates to help you, um, get through these situations and not just COVID too. We deal with all sorts of situations. We had a medical kidnap case with a baby in Idaho where they, um, like they tried to say they weren't taking care of the baby, but he hadn't, um, absorptive issue with his GI tract and we helped get him back and get him services that he needed. We've helped people on organ transplant lists because they were being discriminated against because they weren't vaccinated because they were on the transplant list because the vaccine damaged their heart and required a heart transplant. So obviously they're not going to get another dose. That's why they need the transplant. So there's lots and lots of different things that we help with outside of COVID. And since May of 2020 up until now, I've just been touring the country here in the United States. I've been to South um, South America, Mexico, um, India. Dealt with Lebanon, the Ukraine. Um, NATO's gotten a hold of me to help with the field hospitals there, completely unrelated to um, COVID um, just because I'm a a trusted, respected name in healthcare now. And that leads us to this podcast right now.
0: Yeah. Um, that brings us to where we are today quite succinctly. Um, there's, there's a few different things that I really want to unpack there, uh, from the medical negligence that, that you mentioned to the medication to your work abroad. Um, One of the many interesting places, I I think, is India, given the disparity of the different approaches that have been taken depending on the different states. Um, But why don't we start at what you said with regards to people are going to die if they're not being fed and they're not being given water. This was happening. Was this in the care homes? Was this in the hospitals? Were you seeing this on the ward where you were?
1: this was literally in the hospitals. Cause I wasn't in the, uh, the care homes or the skilled nursing facilities. Um, I was in an actual ICU in both hospitals in New York. And so um, there were situations where if everyone can remember that the governor of New York was like, Oh, we need, what was it? 30,000 ventilators. Yeah, There was like, no, like they didn't grasp what was needed. Really, so they had like they need thirty thousand ventilators, but you need thirty thousand feeding pumps to feed these people while they're on the ventilator. All the associated equipment that goes with that ventilator, so feeding pumps, sequential compression devices to prevent DVTs. Um, everyone knows that once you go into ARDS, that you're going to need dialysis machines. There were nobody brought dialysis machines. We had no feeding pumps. We didn't even have enough like feeding like two feeding supplies so we could just gravity feed. Um, these people and when they did bring the ventilators they were obsolete they were defective and we didn't have circuits necessary for them the circuit is the part that goes from the human to the vent um, because they were they were outdated and nobody decided to they didn't fund the maintenance of these ventilators so many of them just stopped working on the patient themselves you know they were they told us not to go into the rooms more than like four times in a shift and I'm like. Well, how are you going to feed these people? How are you going to give them water? How are you going to turn them? So I had gone onto another unit up in this multi-story hospital so I can get a piece of equipment because I heard that there was a stash of some equipment and supplies on this one unit. So I snuck up there and I got it. And as I'm walking by, there's this little lady, this little grandma in a bed. And she's like reaching for her tray of food that was on her over the bed tray. And mind you, this is like two, three o'clock in the morning because I was on night shift. It was her breakfast tray from the previous morning. So where was her lunch and dinner tray? Nobody opened up her milk carton. Nobody like the, everything was out of her reach. So it's been there since what, like seven, eight o'clock this morning to the next, almost the next morning for 24 hours. How was she not fed? Did nobody touch her? Like what's going on? Did anyone help her to the bathroom? It's, it's all these things that you see. Um, another situation I was, um, I was running down the hall to get another piece of like equipment or something like that. And this girl comes running out of the room and she's just crying and she's hysterical and she's like, he's dying, he's dying. And I'm like, okay, like, let's go in there. And I'm like, go get help because these were office rooms, like for paper pushers, like clerical staff that were turned into hospital rooms. So there was no code blue buttons. So I'm like, Hey, go get help. And I go in there and the damn ventilator set at six breaths per minute, which is not compatible with life. And this is why he died. He didn't die of COVID. He died because they gave a nurse who wasn't a nurse. She had three semesters of nursing school and they told her to manage a ventilator because the governor of New York gave emergency um, authorization for medical students and nursing students to work as full-fledged nurses and doctors. So it, it was just pandemonium. Nobody understood what What was to be expected when they got there? Nobody had an expectation of what to do with the respiratory virus in a pandemic type situation, even though they technically have a pandemic plan. So it's just, it was just chaos after chaos. And that chaos was fed into the news and out into the world. And this is what made everyone think COVID was as bad as it was. I'm like, I didn't lose a single patient. When I was in New York, I mean, maybe a patient I had died with another nurse, but at no time did I ever code my own patients because I was able to get them better. Um, at one time, I was the nurse that had the patient that lived the longest at two weeks. And they're like, oh my God, that's not unheard of. Typically, they die in 72 hours. I'm like, yeah, because y'all don't know what the hell you're doing. I mean, I'm not even a stellar nurse. I'm rather average, what I tell people. And if average is the best that you have, we're all screwed. And so then from there on, you know, not only that there was poor medication management. We weren't using budesonide. We weren't using the right type of steroid. Um, they wouldn't give us ibuprofen to manage fevers. So we're over here icing people. I'm opening up windows in the middle of like spring in New York, trying to cool these people down from fevers, you know, just all sorts of pandemonium that really didn't need to happen. And I mean, I've been in field hospitals and outbreaks and war zones before it was, those are better managed with bombs going off. Than it was in New York and there's not even a terrorist attack going on.
0: It baffles That's the a mind. Lot. yeah <laughs> absolutely um, but it, it, it baffles the mind that it, that this is happening in a country like America this is something you would expect to happen in a third world nation where perhaps oh, no you're better off in third leave. worlds looking at some of the numbers uh, yeah I, i can see that being an actual thing but you mentioned there the medication um you mentioned that people weren't being given budesonide now this is something that came to my attention i want to say around last year's summer from i think it was the stoic trial that i'd read um, being done mm-hmm. in, in the UK about inhale budesma. So is that the,
1: the Oxford study?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Exactly that one. And um, I spoke to a couple ICU doctors uh, that I knew. And, you know, I mentioned it to them. I was like, hey, fellas, you know, have, have you guys looked at this study? Response was, you know, too busy to keep up with every bit of paper that's coming out because. In fairness, there was a lot of stuff coming out thick and fast. You can't keep up with everything. And I was like, I oh, yeah, the, you know, from, from what I've read, the study looks really good. Inhale bedesinide seems to have some positive effects, um, high recovery rates with it, yada, yada. And they're like, yeah, but we're already using prednisone or methyl prednisone. So, uh, you know, we don't really need to look into that. Now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that a thing? It, it, could they have entertained the idea there or? Am I totally in the dark?
1: No, that's just it. So in the beginning, if you guys remember the news reports, because I, I actually watched the BBC. I don't. I didn't watch American News until I was in New York because I didn't have BBC on the television. But everyone was saying it was supposed to wipe out the asthmatics and the COPD patients. And those are the ones that are actually on budesonide, which is an inhaled corticosteroid. Okay. What we saw coming in were people who had predominantly diabetes almost every single person was diabetic or had hypertension or metabolic syndrome which is this is labeled as pre-diabetic and everyone knows in the united states everyone is obese here like everyone is overweight yeah. um and so we we didn't see the asthmatics in the copd and we even asked that like how come the copd aren't in here because we have a huge smoking rate even in, in the uk there's like a huge smoking rate
0: Massive. why aren't these yeah. people
1: getting wiped out why aren't these people getting wiped out and Nobody had an answer. And then it comes out to be like six, seven months later, there's like r- research starting to trickle out about the budosinite because people were like, well, why aren't the asthmatics and COPDers dying? And that's when that Oxford study became like a key like paper. And they're like, we, we've watched as to why they're not dying. And, and this is a, the commonality is the drug budosanide, which is very cheap and very like easy to get. Um, they're all on it. And so what we would push, um, w- would be to get the budesonide. It's fine. If you still get the corticosteroids through the IV and everything, that's fine, but do the inhalation, do the nebulizer and it goes right to the lungs and it actually stops the fibrosis of the lungs. We, I can keep a person on a ventilator. I kept some, I kept people alive for over a hundred days on the ventilator and no fibrosis of their lungs. When we were able to get the budesonide, and I'm just like, why aren't we doing that? And the commonality that the doctors will say, oh, well, they're not a COPD. And I'm like, you can think outside the box. You're a doctor. And then you're, you know, you're in his care conference with the legal team on both sides and you're there and you're hashing it out with this doctor. And I'm like, you know what? It's really sad that you spent half a million dollars on your medical school education because I have a bachelor's degree, which is like not even a third, like a quarter of what you paid for. And I'm smarter than you and my people are living. Like I, like I said, at a point I get freaking (laughs) nasty about it because I'm like, you should know this. You should know this doc. Like, I mean. You, you should go get a refund on your education because you should be able to pinpoint like if we do this and they live and we do that and they die let's keep doing it we don't need to know why it works we just need to know it works that's called empirical like research we don't know why it works but we're going to keep doing it
0: yeah but so. it for me it kind of felt like the doctors were very much protocol driven and if it wasn't Mm -hmm. in the protocol it was almost like there was this massive fear of a repercussion that if you did go with something that was against the grain even if it was working you were going to get more than a slap on the wrist kind of thing did you see this
1: yeah we had I was in another like care conference meeting with like a family and the medical care team and I'm like okay let's get vitamin c and they're, I'm like, I'm not even asking for intravenous vitamin C. I'm telling you, get some, get some vitamins, vitamin C, crush it up and put it in the feeding tube. I'm like, it's very easy. It's very cheap. The family has it here. Just, you know, take the bottle of vitamin C. The pharmacy will identify that it is vitamin C. And then you just put it on the order list. And the doctor, like the resident turned to the attending is like, we can't, can we do that? Or, I thought it would get flagged if we, if we order something off the, that's off the pre-populated order set it'll get flagged by administration and they'll get in trouble um I see that all the time and I mean I we deal with hospitals across the country and so it's it's every single hospital across the country. And we don't have a universal healthcare system like the UK has the NHS. It's These are all different conglomerates, all saying the same exact thing. Like I would expect this with like the NHS or something like that because they're using a universal documentation system last time I checked and a universal billing system and a universal payer system. So I would expect uniformity with the order sets and everything like that as well. But no, these are all different hospital conglomerate systems with their own protocols but the basic protocols that they're running are not saving people's lives this is why you're seeing people die in the hospital and we're not dragging them and pulling them out of their homestead it's because the protocols are killing people
0: that's another interesting point that you bring up there that we're not dragging people out of their homes they are um dying within the hospitals and yet again, if we roll back to the start of this pandemic, that's what we were being shown on the telly. We were being shown that, hey, people are dropping dead in the streets, guys. People are dropping like flies. And if anything, we're starting to see that happen now um, on the sports field with people that have had um, the vaccinations. It's they're quite counterintuitive to think that, hold on a minute, the thing that's happening now, now that we have the thing that was supposed to save us, was the thing that was supposed to happen back when the disease was running rampant throughout society. How how can we marry those two things up and and come to some kind of logical conclusion as to what the hell has occurred here? Why is the thing that was supposed to be happening in 2020 happening now in
1: 2022 so i mean all things aside from the whole theory of depopulation (coughs) new world order and things like that um it really comes down to what they chose to put in to the vaccine they put the entire spike in there typically they would do something like an attenuated virus something that's weakened which is the az i
0: think right that was
1: um, no, it was a vector. That was a vector, viral vector one. Um, they put the entire spike in there though. They just used a, I want to say it was chimpanzee, adenovirus, whatever, whatever. Um, they used a, a, a viral shell and then they packed it and put it in where Pfizer and Moderna used a nanoparticle and then they put the spike in and then put it into you. So it's just, it's what's, what's encapsulating the spike is ultimately what it is. Um, polio, the old school polio vaccine, the oral polio, that was an attenuated one. That's why we can never truly eradicate it. I guess you could say all things aside with the theories on that, um, was because it could revert to a a live, uh, virus. So they put the entire spike in there and the very thing that causes disease, like the COVID disease and all of its symptomology is the spike protein. So why would you put the entire spike in there? You should only need to put just enough in there to elicit the immune response you want. So the body could fight it off. Then what they didn't understand is that you're using MRNA and you're telling your body, your cells to make that it's read as like a template. And then from there you make it. And they said that the M should stay localized at the injection site and it's not going to spread anywhere um it's not going to integrate into your nucleus and your dna and as soon as it, the mrna like is used it gets used oh, up boy. and then it's done yeah. all the things that they said that it was supposed to do it didn't do because they didn't they didn't do all their quality control they just rushed it under the eua mm-hmm and they said oh it works well that was for like the original virus which was wuhan and now we've got omicron which is like 50 mutations different just at the spike uh, just at the binding site so i mean if you completely get a it's it's like if you completely get a facelift and all this work done to your face you don't you don't look like the same person there's kind of the same person there but not the not the same and that's the same concept you've had so many mutations you know with this virus that you're now making antibodies to technically a virus that no longer exists because it's mutated into another variant because that's how it works. And this is all basic viral biology and viral evolution. And so the fact that we're not even doing what our textbooks tell us, because I mean, none of it makes any sense. It's just like, we're on this runaway train and we're just gonna follow it till the end of the tracks until we all crash and burn. But as nurses, our job is to, is to help people. to, you know, we took an oath to do no harm. And that's why we're telling people, I mean, Hey, if you want to go get it, you're more than welcome to, I'm not going to tell you not to, but the problem is, is when you don't want it and they're making you get it, that's an issue. So, I mean, you know, to each their own. I mean, some people eat kale all the time, but that's not for me, (laughs) you know, but I mean, they say it's for your health, but it's really, I mean, all these people are dropping dead. I can't tell you enough. Um, If you guys listen to what would be the equivalency of like nine one one, like for your emergency response over there, there's like a, a, like a police scanner and you can listen to it. It's the wrong age bracket dropping dead. Like I live three blocks away from a high school. I think in the past two months, the ambulance has been there twice. To treat a kid and the elementary school is is behind my backyard and the helicopter flew out there three months ago to pick a kid up off the playground. It wasn't from you know falling off the monkey bars. It was from you know sudden cardiac chest pain. And then this is all normal. Apparently, this is all normal.
0: It's being normalized. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not. It's it's it, the thing is. That I find really creepy with that. I don't know if it was the World Economic Forum or the WHO recently put out a video to say that kids can get uh, cardiac issues too. And that's completely normal. It's a really uh, disturbing video. I don't know if you've come across that yourself
1: i heard of it, but I just, I mean, the propaganda just disgusts me at this point, but I can tell you right now, the only time we've had ish- cardiac issues. And I mean, literally it's my job to fly around in a helicopter and, you know, go to these emergencies like that is when honestly, like kids get hit in the chest really hard or something like that, or they had a, you know, cardiac anomaly or they accidentally ingested some type of pharmaceutical or street drug. Yeah. Like there's rare occasions when we have the can- the kids with cancer that were on chemo or radiation that there is that risk of blood clots. But I mean, like literally, I just listed all five excuses as to why a child would have blood clots. <laughs> Healthy kids don't. They don't.
0: Uh, they're not.
1: trying to normalize it.
0: Yeah. And it it's to the point where the uh, Sick Kids Hospital in Canada has a specific protocol to deal with children with vaccine injuries and the fact that they've had to now develop a totally specific protocol for this thing that has never happened i I don't remember a single kid having to be rushed to the hospital when i was young for some kind of cardiac issue um but the other thing is like you mentioned we're now sort of four or five variants down the road we've been given the third shot the booster shot which is still based off of the original uh, Wuhan virus. And now Joe Biden's just been on stage within the last couple of days, taking a fourth shot and promoting the fourth shot. Is there any sense in this? Because the last time I checked the data, there seemed to be negative efficacy.
1: I don't know why. I honestly, at this point, it has to come down to money because, why would you continue to do something and expect a different result doing the same exact thing you've been doing? It doesn't, I mean, you can paint a wall with black paint and if you keep painting it with black paint, it's always going to be black paint. It's never going to be blue paint. It's never going to be red paint. (laughs) It's like, I don't get them. Honestly, I don't get it at all. Other than the fact that, I mean, that they want to, they're somehow making money because Pfizer is being subsidized by the US taxpayers. And then they're selling the doses. So now they're getting double paid. And it's the predominant number one vaccine in the world because now Johnson and Johnson's out, AstraZeneca's out, and, and what is it? Uh Moderna, I wasn't saying Merrick. Um is like a very, very far second. So Pfizer is the predominant one that kicks up here. And all the other vaccines in the clinical trials, if you go to clinicaltrials.gov here in the United States, um, they're not being fast-tracked through there. So, I mean, it's like, it's like a propaganda profit machine. It's going to cripple two or three generations. Like, honestly, I mean, we've seen some of these kids, there was actually Maddie DeGray. We work a lot with her. Um, she was in the Pfizer clinical trial for children. She was 12, And she is progressively becoming paralyzed. She has the use of her arms right now, but that's it. Not even the use of her neck. We were helping brainstorm ways to keep her propped up in the wheelchair and help mom transfer her and, and other things like that. And I'm like, she was part of the clinical trial and they just brush it under the rug. And I'm, I'm, we're going to cripple a couple generations here. I mean, not only are we going to just murder a lot of people and all the elderly, we're going to have children that are being crippled. I mean, we have a huge, like, did you hear in Canada about the miscarriage rate that was going on? They had like 83 miscarriages, like late-term like miscarriages or stillborn birth in like one month. Jeez. And they've never had that in like decades. I mean, since, honestly, since like...
0: Records they had, kind of thing.
1: Yeah, since records. I mean, we they have a like a stillborn death rate more than they had in the pioneer days when there was no sanitation, no clean water, no hand soap. Nobody even knew what washing hands was. And I mean, and you look at that, I mean, these first world nations are being affected, but then like, I I mean, I was in India, like working in some of these slums and they literally have body retrieval specialists that just go around and pick up dead bodies. You know, people would drink the water out of the Ganges and that is the most polluted water in the entire world.
0: Mm. And
1: people were not dropping dead. I mean, I've been to South Africa, to Johannesburg, where if you're there to give birth to a baby and there's just no room, you just have, you just birth your baby on the floor, you know, and things like that. And I'm just like, you know, if you don't have your five, what's the equivalency of like a $5, $5 American copay to get into the hospital, they'll just turn you away. And I'm like, how are these countries doing better than the superpower? I'm like, none of this makes sense. I I look at it this way. If they're doing something and it works, we should be doing it too. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to do it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that brings us nice and neatly onto India because in, I think it was last summer or, uh, yeah, I think it was last summer, India was dying right all that you heard was India's on fire everyone's dying there and all of a sudden that whole spiel dropped off and there were some states Uttar Pradesh being one of them that was rolling out the the Voldemort of drugs that it seems to be Ivermectin the he who shall not be named and then some of the other states started using it as well and also started seeing some positive things now you yeah, (laughs) fill us in (laughs) (laughs) fill us in please.
1: So what, what happened there is that I work with a lot of humanitarian groups and they're like, Hey, we've heard about the work that you're doing in Mexico. And because ivermectin is available, um, in Mexico over the counter. counter, Yeah.
0: I've asked people to to try and bring it back for me. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, you can actually buy it from India, from their pharmacy, go to what is it alldaychemist.com and it's been it
0: stopped coming to the Netherlands so Netherlands border control are uh, seizing shipments in I've sent out multiple you, you've emails.
1: you've got to get it you've got to buy it in small shipments like two mm. packs at a time and that'll sneak it through if not you can always resort to the horse paste
0: you know what horse <laughs> so, paste it is
1: <laughs> yeah I've, you know As a licensed nurse, I must tell you, you should not take veterinary grade medication. However, I do know along the border of America and like Texas and Mexico area that that's what the, all the refugees have been using because there was no ivermectin available.
0: Wow. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know.
1: So, we, I worked with a humanitarian group and I won't mention them because it was just a hodgepodge of people. And they're like, we know that this works. We know we can get it. We just need to tell people to take it. Would you come and help work with us? Because you're really big in India. Everyone has saw the video. They know who you are. Um, You can like, honestly, if you Google my name, like it's like in the Muslim mirror, there's like a whole bunch of like articles about me Um, in like in, in Hindi and English and Arabic, all of it. I'm just like, whoa, I didn't even realize I reached that far. But like I said, that video went around the world. And so I'm like, okay, this is what this is typically how you do it. Is you have to start rule. Don't go into the major cities because that's where your health departments are. That's where your like police forces are, and they're gonna come and stop you. You go rule, like literally, to the areas that have no water, like no running water, no sanitation, no electricity, no Wi-Fi. Those remote areas, and you make these little kits. And what we did was we get like the of like a Ziploc bag, and we put an antibiotic in there. We'd put vitamin C and zinc or like a multivitamin, depending upon what we could have, because we would just buy whatever was in the stores, because this is all available um, over the counter and you put the ivermectin in there. And this is how the Ziberto kit got created. I don't know if you guys remember seeing that. It's like a little blister pack Mm -hmm. and it has like your zinc, your doxycycline and your ivermectin in there. And that's how the Zyverdo kit, like somebody caught on to so just put this all in one little kit. And, um, so we would just put everything in like a little Ziploc bag and we would just go to door to door and be like, here, this is what you're going to take. Because it's like the equivalency, if all those medications costed the equivalency of, of, of two American dollars. Okay. I mean, honestly, we can create these kits for $3 and we, you know, everyone like these humanitarian groups. Uh, pulled all their resources and we would just go buy everything and, and bag it all up like a sack lunch and we'd go door to door and we would go into what the equivalency of the, like their churches are because that's how we did it in mexico we'd meet in the churches because in these rural areas the church is the the mecca center place yeah yeah for the community. And so we go in there and we would talk and, and and teach them about these things and we would just give it away, give it away. And if you run out, you just go to the store and go get more because it's very cheap and you can get it. We just had to set the stage for it. And so then it starts to spread like wildfire. Um so and then you move on to the next community. And the next community, you start strategically going out and then it goes from the outside, from rural into the metro and then it makes mainstream. I mean, it's a lot of footwork, a lot of footwork. And then, you know, a lot of the times, most of the time they speak English, but if not, they speak Hindi. So I always had to be with an interpreter, but they they're like, thank you. Thank you. Nobody thinks of us. I mean, we were so rural. Some people had never left their villages. They didn't even know a pandemic was going on. Because there's no real outside contact unless it's like, you know, a a wagon is coming through with supplies or something like that because they're still self-sufficient little villages. Yeah. Um, So that's how we did it. And, you know, word of mouth spreads about what happens. And then, you know, it just keeps going and you can't stop it.
0: And this is the thing, right? You can't stop it. Word of mouth spreads it. And yet on the international stage, there was still so much pushback as to why it was slowing down there and pretty much eliminated. And if you said, oh yeah, it's because they introduced ivermectin, that was just per chance that ivermectin was in the area. It had nothing to do with it being used.
1: Correlation does not equal causation. I'm like, well, you know, you can actually calculate Pearson's coefficient and figure this all out mathematically if you really wanted to. And I'm like... I don't have time to waste arguing with people who don't want to believe that it works. Mm. I'm going to go help these people save their lives. And when you see that they don't die and your family's over there dying, maybe you'll decide that what you want to do. Like I'm not going to convince you anymore. Like I can waste an hour trying to educate someone on that, or I can go in that hour, help 20, 30 more people. And so that's what you do because it's like, honestly, always it's kind of like and i always think of it like this like an atheist they always come to jesus at the last minute when they're dying like
0: (laughs) i've seen that so
1: many times as a flight nurse and i'm like oh okay they'll try it finds
0: god right at the end
1: everyone finds ivermectin in a pinch when they need it they come to the horse med um and stuff like that so it's just really interesting to see and I'm like, it's cheap, it's cost, like, it's so cost effective. The side effects are minimal. A lot of them know the drug anyway in India and especially Mexico because of the contaminated water system. And I'm like, it's not something weird and scary that like so completely left field that they have no familiarity with it. It's like taking the equivalency of an aspirin or a Tylenol or something like that. And we didn't even use like with the FLCCC protocol, there's all like all sorts of other things to add in there. No basics vitamin C, zinc, steroid, ivermectin. That's typically like we didn't even use all the other stuff. And sometimes if all we had was ivermectin, that's what we would give them. And it still worked. It's just, it's really interesting to see that. I mean, the word of mouth and that, that grassroots movement of teaching these people, all of these things, it's slower than a media newscast, like blasting out there that it doesn't work. And then Then you have to start, like, this is what kind of what happened with Joe Rogan is that at first he had Dr. Uh, Pierre Corey on there. And then a couple months later, he catches COVID and he takes his horse meds, as everyone joked around. And then this, like, super famous, like, boxer gets vaccinated and almost dies in the hospital. So, I mean, you can't stop it. And then that's where it goes back to the algorithms and the searches on the internet is like, when you first search it, they'll put like, right now, if you search up my name, it used to be the video. And then it wasn't the video. They put up, they put up my, um, my nursing license information. Cause I am on a committee with the state board of nursing and that went up to the top. And now the very top thing now, when you search my name is being fact-checked about remdesivir. So it's like they control The information highways and what people can see. And so this is why we just, this is why it's always been, I've been like this key player because people trust me because they saw like that. what I, it was true anguish trying to save this man's life because that's my job. Let me do my job. And this is why other countries have reached out to me. Can you come help instill confidence in what we're doing? And, you know, I have to be careful with that. So that way I'm not getting misused, you know, to do like sell something that isn't good for people. Mm. And so they can, they can control the media and control that information highway faster than our grassroots movements can do anything, but grassroots movements don't stop. On it, like they don't follow trends, they just keep going. It's just so slow, it's like watching like paint dry, but it dries nonetheless.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's its own kind of juggernaut in that it's an unstoppable movement. Once that boulder starts rolling down the hill, no one's gonna get in front of it. Once people genuinely see that it starts working, which you know, evidently they did in India. Evidently, they did in Mexico. Evidently, they have in Japan as well. Despite that also being one where people tried to push back on and say, oh, it's nothing to do with that. And then you showed them the head of Tokyo uh, medical uh, agency endorsing ivermectin and saying, hey, yeah, you guys can prescribe ivermectin. Oh, yeah, but that doesn't mean that they're actually using it. No, no, of of course not. The numbers dropped for fun.
1: Mm-hmm. in the philippines they're like get get the vaccine or take ivermectin those are your two options that's what the president said everyone lined up for the line for ivermectin <laughs> it was like i don't know like colonial times and like british and they're like cake or death cake or death and everyone's lining up for cake <laughs> it's, it's like injection your horse meds injection or horse meds? Everyone's like, i'll take the horse meds
0: give me the horse meds in spades please absolutely um but you mentioned that it's dirt cheap. You mentioned that even with the full the, the, the pack of stuff that you had that wasn't even the full FLCCC protocol, it was the bare bones from what it needed to be, a couple of the vitamins and your overmectin, and it was a couple dollars worth. Why, why aren't more people picking up on this and taking this and running with it? Because one of the other things is, you mentioned that it's like taking a Tylenol or an aspirin. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, does did not have a, almost a better safety profile than that as well? 40 years of continuous use history, 40 years of uh, usage history, also in pregnant women, also uh, you name it. We know it's good. We know it's generally speaking okay for 99% of the pop. And yet it's Voldemort. Well, the
1: interesting thing about ivermectin is that it was naturally created by a fungus. Like they actually found it in a soil fungus. So when like natural design creates something, it's typically better than anything synthetically we can make. And so it has a great safety profile. In fact, I've had people who, you know, you get that horrible foggy brain Mm -hmm. um, with COVID and you just are kind of out of it. They've accidentally taken like an entire bottle of ivermectin, the worst that happens is they end up like throwing up or having diarrhea. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, we deal with people across the country and they get a hold of us. They're like, I took this much and I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're probably going to throw up here soon. you are probably going to, you know, have diarrhea. Don't be surprised if you've never taken an antiparasitic, if something comes out at the same time, that's what we have to warn people to. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so it's, it's honestly, yeah, it's so cheap. And in the United States, I think we spend like 10% of our gross domestic product um, on like new tech, new drugs, new, 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 better, better, better. But, you know, and that that's like that profit driven healthcare system. But if you go to other countries with a universal healthcare system, they're repurposing drugs like like never before. So South America, India, I mean, all of it, I mean, the UK, they're always repurposing drugs. It's like, you know, when we're in the field hospitals in like in South America, we don't have nitrous oxide tanks like that we would use to, to help with that. It's like a, like, I don't, I've never even actually used it in the ICU. I've always seen the respiratory therapists do it, but I'm like, we, they're like, Oh, we need, we need like nitrous oxide too bad. We don't have that. You know, I'm talking with this doctor that was actually from like uh I think it was like, like Texas or something. And I'm like, who's got Viagra? Can we get Viagra over the counter here? And and in the United States, you need prescription for it. And like, I'm asking the medical residents from the, the, like the Mexican medical school, can we get Viagra, Cialis, anything like that? And they're like, yeah, we can get Viagra over the counter. I'm like, let's do it. And I'm like, so we ran to, we spread out, got all, went to all the pharmacies and we got Viagra because it would vasodilate like. the coronary arteries and the pulmonary arteries. And you know what? It might even help their blood pressure if they have a penis because like the blood will go down there too and it'll lower your blood pressure. So I'm like, And people are like looking at me like crazy. I'm like, they're going to fucking die anyway. There's very little side effects to this drug other than we have to worry about like low blood pressure, you know? So I'm like, cut the pill up, put it in a quarter, like quarter it up, whatever we got to do and have them take it. And, you know, you try and talk to an American doctor about that because the same situation happened like, we, we we're, you know, we're a level three hospital or level four, we're critical access. We don't have that. And we can't fly this person out. There's no beds. And I'm like, can we get some Viagra? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, just have someone write Like I can find a doctor right now that will pres- write the prescription for off-label use. The family can go pick it up and we'll bring it into the hospital. Cause obviously the hospital will not have Viagra in the hospital. That's not something that they use. It'd be you know, like, it would be a something from the pharmacy, pharmacy yeah. and I fought them and fought them and they wouldn't do it. And you know, I, it's, I was able to find them another hospital bed at a level one hospital that could do that a state away. So a hundred thousand dollar flight, um, and accept a separate hospital bill okay so we're talking like literally $150,000 just to transport this guy and a $2 pill would have fixed the situation it's absolutely mind-boggling it's the amount course. of waste yeah. when there's a cheap and effective drug even even the Pfizer vaccine costs more than ivermectin I mean, and here's the thing, just because we have a vaccine, it doesn't mean you throw out the treatment. We have a tetanus vaccine, but it doesn't mean we throw out the tetanus anti, uh, like antitoxin pills. We don't, that's just not common sense. So why not do both? So we're not even, we're not even doing what we normally do because like, let's say this is a tetanus situation. Let's say there's just tetanus everywhere. Everyone goes and gets their tetanus vaccine, but do we throw away the tetanus antitoxin? No, we keep it stockpiled, ready to give out. It's actually stockpiled in all the ERs across the country as a necessary medication. Mm. So we don't, we're not even doing what we normally would have done in a situation like this.
0: We're not even considering early treatment. I mean, we're two years into this and only now with Mopiravir and I forget the name of the other one. Are they even considering doing any kind of early treatment? And even then it's um, restricted for who they're handing these pills out to. Two years in, it doesn't make sense. Like you say, no. if we've got the tetanus meds. This
1: is just it's all really madness, is what it is. So, in order to get emergency use authorization for any like fast-track drug like that, there has to be no other options available, sim- symptomatic treatment, like antibiotics, Tylenol, blah, 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 steroids, that's symptomatic treatment, but nothing targeted for that illness. And so as long as there's no early intervention, it warranted the EUA. And I'm like, okay, so we've killed all these people, whatever. It's FDA approved now. Can we get the early intervention? Still no early intervention, because if there's early intervention, then they're not going to want the vaccine because it's not like one of the regular vaccines. And then on top of it, Pfizer's coming out with their own um, early intervention pills called uh, Pavlov or something like ah, that. I
0: Paxilov or something. I was,
1: yeah. I was, I always want to say Pavlov or Paxil. <laughs> somewhere <laughs> in between the, the two. <laughs> yeah. somewhere between those two. Um, so they can rush that drug with another EUA if there is once again, no other effective early intervention treatment
0: this regulatory capture is a bit baffling especially when you have senators that are calling this out so obviously um most people listening to this are going to be familiar with the fact that you testified um in a, a hearing with uh, senator ron johnson uh you've also got Rand paul there are people in the Senate House that are speaking up and pulling up Fauci and pulling up the fact that there's this almost conspiracy between uh, the NIAID, the CDC, and the pharmaceutical industry. And yet nothing's being pushed through to stop it, right? Because you mentioned before that it was almost like the pharma reps were coming in and just repurposing drugs that they've had in trial before that they didn't manage to get to work for what they needed. You mentioned it already, remdesivir being a fantastic example of a drug that didn't work for what it was intended for, and also really didn't work for what they tried to use it for here.
1: As to why it, no one is listening, I have absolutely no clue other than the fact that a lot of people have to be getting paid off or incredibly scared that they're gonna lose their jobs. Like I mean, even onto the political level, I mean, why do why do politicians do what they do? They've been paid to do what they do by their lobbyists, or um, it will make them look bad to their constituents. So they may not get reelected. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure if you pull a DeSantis and you save thousands of lives, you're gonna get reelected. So,
0: People are gonna to want to keep I, you about.
1: They're gonna to want to keep you around, right? I mean, I'm I don't know if everyone over there knows about the stereotype of Florida, but Florida used to be like the armpit of the United States. Like there was always search up Florida man. Just type into oh, Google yeah. Florida man. <laughs> okay. And that was literally the stereotype of Florida, other than like old people go there because Retired. the weather. Yeah. That those were the stereotypes of Florida. And now Florida is leading the United States in early intervention and saving lives and actually having their act together through this entire pandemic. And I'm like, Florida, really? Of all places, it's Florida? Well, that's good. You know, if you want to see where like a good place to live is, just look where everyone is leaving and where everyone is going to. I mean, they've actually, I think Florida picked up two electoral seats because so many people moved there. Jeez. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, people are leaving New York and California because it's so bad there. I mean, with the, the protocols and, you know, the vaccine mandates and passports and all sorts of weird stuff like that. That,
0: that brings up another question for me. Um, and this is totally off topic, but part of the reason that places like California and New York, went the way they went is because of this massive uprising in woke culture and um the woke culture essentially took over the political sphere as well and things like vaccine passports came in because that was the thing you had to do and if those people are then fleeing there and heading to florida and i'm not trying to paint everyone that's from New York or from California or from other places that have unfortunately um, had uh, their governors ruling with an iron fist, shall we say, Um, if they're all going there, then you've got people who had the same ideologies that elected the officials in New York, potentially poisoning the punch in a place like Florida that the reason they managed to stay somewhat free is because of the fact that someone like Ron DeSantis was elected, who may not have been elected in a place like New York or in a place like California. And I know this is completely off topic, but like, it, is that a sentiment that you think is, is fair to have? Or do you think I'm being a little bit overdramatic there? No,
1: I think, I, you know, I'm not a political person. I've just always wanted to help people, but I, I have noticed that. Like, I live in Nevada, and if you look at the last election, there are only two blue spots on our map, and that is Reno and Vegas, and that's where everyone from California would move to. The rest, rural Nevada, is all all red, all Republican, but we are technically a blue state, like a Democratic state, because everyone from California moved to Reno and Nevada, uh, Reno and Vegas and messed up our state. Like literally when they're in my small town here in the middle of nowhere, Nevada, like I can tell a Californian before I see their license plate on their car because they drive horrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're all like, why are you speeding through a school zone? There's no to go. The town is like, it takes you 10 minutes to get across the entire town. Why are you rushing?
0: Sounds There's like only one time.
1: grocery store. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so it's, it's interesting to see. Um, yeah. It's almost like a mob mentality, and that's where everyone's like, says like, don't, don't New York, my Florida, don't, you know, we always say don't California or Nevada. Um, <laughs> you know, if you see, if you're, if you're leaving a location, because what they do does not work, don't perpetuate that in another area. Yeah. Um, that's the best thing I can, I can, I can tell people, I always told my husband, if like, if Nevada gets like any more crazy than it already is, then, then like the, the next place we could move to is Montana. I think Montana's still free. <laughs>
0: Jeez, it's, it baffles the mind to think that, like you say, there are people that are escaping a set of ideals and then want to perpetuate those same ideals in a new place, thinking that it's going to play out differently. It's, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, trying to paint the wall blue with black paint and then trying to paint it red with black paint and then trying to paint it purple with black paint, it, it's not going to get any different. Um, but bringing things back to that testimony that we mentioned earlier, um, you said something that for me um, was quite disturbing, but you are someone that has been in war zones and yeah, you've seen things at the peak level of despair in a way and you compared the hospitals that you were working in to that kind of situation can you maybe outline for us very briefly what it was about those hospitals that that was so dire so you've already mentioned there were patients that weren't necessarily being cared for and patients that were being left for almost 24 hours with the same meal in front of them who as a result of you could postulate that they weren't being turned, they weren't being changed, and they weren't being checked up, possibly. What what was it then that, that was so disturbing when you were working in the hospital that that was the comparison that your mind came to? Because it's not a comparison that someone makes lightly. You
1: know, ever since, like, my original video in May of 2020, hmm. um, I... I said, I'm like, this is like if they were taking the Jews and putting them into boxcars and then taking them to the concentration camps, because the most bizarre thing is, is you're telling people what we're doing is wrong. It's not working. It's killing them. It's harming them. It's hurting them. And then everybody says, it's okay. You can't save them all. Here's a cookie. And then they would all bang pots and pans for you at 7 PM every day.
0: Oh, that wound me up.
1: Yeah. I just like, if one more person tells me I'm a fucking hero and tries to give me a cookie when I am screaming that these people are dying. I'm, I mean, that's what, that's literally what like led me to freak out. They kept telling me I was a hero and I'm like, and they kept telling me you're not going to save everyone. I'm like, if I work fast enough, I can save the life in front of me though. And that, that perpetuated off until now, like they've lowered the standard of care and we have just come to accept that this is how it is there's nothing you can do. You're never going to change it. Um, this is just COVID it's novel. And I'm like, for the United States of fucking America, it's been two years. If we can send people into outer space, we should have our shit together in these hospitals. Like, I mean, you can't say you're the United States and then can't figure out how to keep these people alive. And so, I mean, ever like just seeing it, even in the medical records, seeing actually being in the hospitals and New York wasn't the only epicenter I worked Uh, for COVID in the United States. It was the same thing over and over and over again. Don't give them the meds. And I'm like, and then they would bring in the pharmaceutical companies to experiment on these, on these people saying, Hey, well, they're not going to die. They're not going to live. So let's try these last minute drugs. And of course people are eager to either save their loved one or save themselves. So they sign up for these clinical trials that, you know, everyone that didn't get on the clinical trials live longer And so that's, that's what it just, it looked like to me. And I'm like, is this what it looks like when everybody knows that they're taking the Jewish people and annihilating them in a camp somewhere and everyone's just okay with it. And they're going to go out there and mow their yard and go to church on Sunday. Everyone knows, but nobody will say anything and nobody will do anything until it's your loved one or your family member. And then that's how people start to wake up when they see it themselves. And I'm like, I really wish we didn't have to get to the point where everyone had to learn the hard way if everyone just had listened. And, you know, I get that a lot too. People are like, you know, I, I, when I saw your video, everything started to make sense. And, you know, we made sure to avoid the hospitals when, you know, in 1918, when the 1918 influenza came through, they actually have like a, a handkerchief system where it was like gray means sick, blue means dead, and a body needed to be extracted out of the house. Even in in Hurricane Katrina, there was a marking system on houses to come remove the dead bodies. When in Ebola, there was a marking system on the houses in order to let people know when to remove dead bodies. That's what a pandemic looks like. You drag them out of the homes and, you know, And you take them out, like they're dying, they're dying in their sleep, they're dying on their couch and their sofa, like you see in the movies, you know, they're in the bathtub and they're dead and they've been there for how long? That is like, I mean, I've worked cholera, like, and like outbreaks and typhoid outbreaks. And I'm I'm telling you, that's, that's how it works. And they only die in the hospitals here. They only die in the hospitals. I mean, how many people do you know, like, just, you know, they called 911 because someone was actively dying. No, they, most of them drove to the hospital saying, Hey, I can't breathe. I mean, you saw it on the news when the pandemic started, they were standing in line to go to the hospital because the news told them to go to the hospital. if They had a fever. So, I mean, the little Hispanic lady that I I took care of at the first hospital, her door to intubation time was 15 minutes. She it even said in the medical record that the news told her to go to the hospital. She had a fever. She could breathe. Why did they intubate her in 15 minutes if the only thing she had was an elevated temperature? And I mean, this is the nonsense that we're seeing. I mean, now as the narratives changed, I like, I'll literally be on the phone with like someone in the hospital and they're like, they keep telling me I'm going to need a ventilator. And I'm like, you just spoke to me for 30 minutes on, on a cell phone. People who can't breathe, can't speak for 30 minutes straight on a cell phone to me. And, you know, they'll just freak you out until you have a panic attack or something like that. And then they just like sedate you and intubate you. Or if you don't want to be intubated, they try and get you out of the hospital. I'm like, well, they still need oxygen. They still have a bacterial secondary pneumonia you need to treat. I mean, we're not, we're not thinking with our thinking caps anymore. And this is what's leading to that senseless death. Because once again, ask yourself, how come they're only dying in the hospitals? I know I have a unique perspective from working in field medicine and trauma and in flight and all that kind of stuff, but we should all be asking the same question. Like, cause on the news, remember they were dying out in the street,
0: Mm.
1: not dying out in the street. Uh, Well, maybe from their clot shot that maybe, but not from COVID.
0: No, no, absolutely not. And what, What would be your recommendation then of what you've seen for the approach for people to take?
1: That one's pretty easy. So if you're overweight, start cutting out the processed foods because it's the inflammation in your body already that is going to set you up for risk and really just clean up your diet. If it comes out of a box or a package, don't eat it. And you'll find you'll lose a lot of weight that way. That will get you out of like metabolic syndrome or, you know, even off of a lot of your diabetes medications. And then from there, vitamin C, zinc. have some ivermectin ready. You know, honestly, half the time we never even need antibiotics, if, you know, we use ivermectin for just about anything in my house. Like my husband used to think I was crazy for this. And now whenever he feels a cold coming on and he, we don't test for anything. The only time I've ever been tested is when I immediately came back from New York to my hometown. It's like, I think I'm getting sick. Um, where's the ivermectin? Like it's in the medicine cabinet. My daughter had RSV and uh, honestly she kicked COVID faster than she kicked RSV. And, uh, she was one at the time. And I'm like, so I gave her some ivermectin. She was better the next day. I mean, kids got chicken pox, give them some myorectin worst case scenario. It does nothing. I mean, mm. so have your medication ready because what's going to happen is like, you know, in another the lens, they're not going to let it come into the country. Um, so get your meds and just keep them stockpiled. I mean, we have antibiotics, we have steroids. We have all the things that we could possibly need because when does stuff happen typically on the weekends at night? And it's a $7,000 ER bill. If I, you know, have to go take a kid to the ER when we have the meds there. So just honestly eat well, get some exercise and have your meds ready. That is literally as simple and easy as it is. Um, I've treated my entire family with ivermectin. Nobody's been in the hospital. I mean, we've come pretty close. Two of them are almost hospitalized because I was out of the country when they got sick and nobody was going to tell me they were sick.
0: <laughs> um, and I'm panic, like, <laughs>
1: literally my husband picks me up from the airport. and I'm like, Hey, I need to go to your cousin's house. I literally like go into my office, grab my stuff. And he's like, um, are you are, like, are you going to take a shower? You're like, do I, am like, I'm still in my dirty clothes, like from the, the, you know, still covered in mud and all this kind of stuff, uh, Jeez. you know, for being in a field hospital. And I'm like, Nope, I'm going to so-and-so's house. <laughs> Just like picks It's him
0: literally,
1: up. yeah. It's like, it's literally that simple. Like the meds are that simple. I had, um, this one lady that got a hold of me, somebody gave her my phone number. And that's just how it works. People just give people my phone number. I mean, but you can go to the Advocate Network, and the nurses can help you there. But in my hometown, my my phone number would get passed around, and this little old lady gets a hold of me, and she's like, "So and so told me to call you. I have COVID." I'm like, "Okay, where do you live? I can be there in about an hour." And I get there and she's having a hard time breathing. She was hospitalized. They say it was resolved. I'm like, no, it's not resolved by any means. They sent you home with oxygen to die. Ultimately is what happened. She was telling me the story about how her son who was in his forties died. They gave him her own And I'm like, of course. And, uh, you know, we give her that, um, I get her, I get a hold of a doc, one of the doctors that I work with that's licensed in our state. And I'm like, we get all the medications like filled for her. Um, We bring her all the supplements and stuff that she needs. And she's like, why didn't, why didn't they give this to my son? And I'm like, I don't know, but we can save you because if she died, um, there was no one to take care of the, the, her dead son's children. They would have gone into foster care. And so she got a hold of me, I think like a month ago and, and showed up at my door and said with the two little kids and said, thank you. Like the kids are back with me now uh, because they were staying with a relative. She literally could not keep like, she couldn't speak more than four words at a time. And I'm like, and that's the type of work that we do. These people matter to somebody. They matter to somebody. They don't matter to the wealthy elites or the pharmaceutical companies or the, you know, all those fancy people in the NIH and the, and the who who all get to go home to their nice, beautiful houses and never have to worry about food scarcity or not being able to pay their bills. You know, these are the people that we help and that's what we're going to keep doing. But I mean, honestly, that's, I, I don't know why they don't do early intervention. I don't.
0: Uh, um, it's heartbreaking to to hear, but very lovely that she's still able to to look after them. So hats off to you guys and the work that you're doing. And that brings me nicely into the last question of uh, American frontline nurses and the Advocate Network. You've already spoken about what the Advocate Network does in terms of um, helping patients, uh, to receive the right treatment and get to the right places that they need to be. What is it that you're doing with your work with, uh, the frontline nurses? What is it you guys are doing there and how can people find out more?
1: Um, so you can go to our website, American Don't use the word America as it goes to a weird scam site. Oh. Um, so, yeah, so many people are trying to like scam off of us because of like the traffic and so many people come to us for help. Um, but it's American frontline nurses. You can go onto our website. We have a link of early intervention resources. Um, even if you're in the United, uh, the United kingdom, a different country, uh, a lot of times we can point you in a general direction as to where you need to get the medications and things like you need. We can't give you down to like street level. Like there was a situation where a woman got a hold of me and uh she was in Kentucky and her uh, adult brother was in Spain. He was like producing a movie or something like that, like a documentary or something. And she's like I heard about you guys. He's in Spain. They won't let him out of the hotel and I'm like okay, this is where you're going to go and you'll be able to like you're going to look for this location within a radius of the hotel. They do have like uh like an Uber. Like, I don't know what they would be called in Spain. And I'm like, and they'll be able to pick up the medication over the counter and bring it to him. And, and that's how it works. So we know generally how to help people, even in other countries. Like there was a man from Lebanon that got a hold of me too. Um, and we were able to help him. But it's it's about we help you find the resources that you need. We can't do a hundred percent of everything for you. It's not possible because we have so many people we're helping all at once, but we keep directing people where they need. Um to go. And if you need one-on-one consultation help, you can hire a nurse advocate on the advocate network. Some work pro bono, some work off donations, some charge uh, by the hour, some charge by packages. We also have on our website, um, our telegram group, it's called Ask an Advocate Telegram Chat. You can go in there and it's completely free and the nurse advocates will troubleshoot things for you as well. Um, and point you in the right direction. And we also have, I think it's three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have Ask an Advocate Zoom that you can jump in on. Um, We charge $5 just to keep the trolls out because ever since Senator Ron Johnson, like people will like try and invade our Zooms and like create havoc. Mm. Uh, So that money just goes back to the organization because we're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, And so we have all these different levels and ways that we can help. And my predominant job is just going around and, and spreading the word and, and teaching and training and things like that. So American frontline nurses.com that's where you can find us if you're not, uh, in my hometown, (laughs) but we have, we have nurses across the country.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. It, it really sounds like you're almost field nursing, uh, across the globe via the the website itself in that you guys are like you mentioned might not be able to get it down to the to the street level but you can at least provide that guidestone to where they need to get to providing the best of whatever situation they've got and it's so admirable and i i just want to thank you guys for the work that you're doing bringing this stuff to light helping out as many people as you can and as many people as you have and um, so thank you very much for that and i'm sure there are a lot of people out there who who um owe their health to you guys in a way uh, for the help that you've given and i want to thank you for being able to spend some time with us on the show as well and uh, yeah thank you very much hope you enjoy your day
1: well thanks for having me i appreciate it